The open ground below the nail pounce on the seaward side was cupped like a shallow bowl, tilted as if to spill its contents down the hill. There was even a trickle of a stream that pooled just before the lip of it, like a libation waiting to be poured out. Beyond that, the ground dropped too steeply to be seen from where we sat. Further away, though, we could sneak out the route down to the gulf and coming up it, their weapons shining in the sun, the mead. The minister of war had ordered his men into formation on either side of the narrow streamlet. He looked over his shoulder as the king rode down to join them. I lied, said the king. I know, said his father. He pointed to the space he'd left open, and the king moved into position. I also love it's preceded by... Jen saying, this is no time to argue with my father, and then just doing what he wants anyway. <laughs> yeah, my father also knows that this is no time to argue with me. Uh, wait, I, I need to decide who, uh, welcome back, stray crossbow bolts? Welcome back, stray crossbow bolts. Crossbow, say that ten times fast. Crossbow bolts, crossbow bolts, cross, <laughs> cross, cross, crossbow bolts. Crossbowmen. <laughs> Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to help you recover from Return of the Thief. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Noelle. Today we're discussing chapter 11 of part 2 of Return of the Thief. And this chapter is mostly preparing for the last stand, the big battle, which Ferris gets a front row seat in. For the historian's sake, for the sake of having this being recorded, which is good. But I am very grateful that the king acknowledges having this small child here is the stupidest thing he has ever done, probably. Yeah, and, and, and it's it's kind of, it's the best of a list of bad options. Because if Ferris stays yeah. with the queens and the queens have to retreat, they're going to end up leaving him behind. Because he can't right. ride fast enough or hard enough to make it back to the mountains. This is because he shouldn't have been here at all. And it makes me think again about how, like you said, when we brought this up earlier, as they left, like, oh, maybe it's divine intervention that he kind of had to be there to tie all this in place. Which feels like an easier pill to swallow than just terrible child care across the board. <laughs> <laughs> we get the payoff from the previous chapter quite fast. Ferris released Sejanus, and then because of that, Sejanus is able to give this warning. And this is also the payoff uh, from the prophecy as well. Yeah, and Ferris says, No one was certain which guards to blame, or I would have lived with the guilt for their deaths on my conscience. So stakes are already pretty high with this, too. Yeah. And Jen is so angry. He's out of control. Angry. He's yelling at everyone. He would have killed someone if he had known who to kill. But he kind of recovers from that pretty quickly. And he gets he gets his rational brain back, and because he has his rational brain back, uh, they're able to 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 make good decisions here. And and it's not just his his rationality, but it's humility. Like he gets this. They're 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 riding out, and they see Sejanus, and Sejanus shoots a uh, a crossbow, and there's no danger because he's too far away. So even if he had hit. Jen, it it wouldn't have done any damage. 
Um, but it's got a note on it that warns them about the Mead army coming through this pass. And one of the things that really struck me about Jen is that he gets the note, he looks at his father and says, should I? He asks what he should do. And this is like, he has had absolute authority for the last mm -hmm. couple of chapters. Like, everyone is terrified of him. But he still asks his dad, what should I do? Like, in front of everyone, too. Especially since this is related to Sejanus, who he's just been trying to, you know, kill madly. But he's he's always been good at admitting, like, he's not the war general. Yeah, yeah, he knows the limits of his own skill. And he doesn't, like, he doesn't defer to his father in terms of, of obeying him pretty much ever. I mean, the end of this chapter, he, he doesn't listen to him. And he goes into the battle, even though he's not supposed to. But he does clearly really respect his father's opinion and want his father's advice. And this message from Sejanus is when Jen figures out the prophecy. Now pent means tongueless. The pass is so high, the mist from the sea doesn't come through it. He was staring at me. It was never about you, said the king, as if a weight had been lifted, so. And that's what makes him decide to go to the pass. I would really like to see what's happening with Edith and Atolia, as in Irene and Helen, during this time. Because yeah. they're, they're, they're pretty, they're busy ladies. Um, like, they're, they're giving their orders, and at this point, their orders are followed really really smoothly like it says a lot of progress has been made since those first council meetings and it's so high stakes and uh i, I want to be i want to be in there and the nitty-gritty with them but we we don't get their perspective and i really really wish that we did it's nice that we do get more of atolia's next chapter but we don't get edith's because she's been specifically made to stay behind because she's too close to the situation mm. It seems like the person most left out of giving the orders is Sunus. Like, it's very like the queens, the queens, the queens mm -hmm. gave their orders. And then Sunus just does stuff, um, like kind of yeah. secondarily. And he is the, I mean, he is and, the least experienced person of mm -hmm. the group. But and he's probably he more still... educated about military strategy than Jen is. Yeah. Especially, I don't know, it kind of seems like his father had more success in that area <laughs> at making his kid do what he wants. <laughs> Sunus is also leading the reserves on the other side of the valley in case, like, the Mead get past a certain point. Sunus will also go fight and lead a group. So you, you kind of wonder, is it the Magus making the decisions there or his father or him or mm -hmm. maybe it's all three, just like Jen and his father here. And the Minister of War and his father are alternated as uh, the ways that he's referred to in this chapter it's like ferris really wants to emphasize that this is jen's father and they also kind of like the way that they are relating to each other alternates between a father and son and the the minister of war and the high king and at the very end it says he he hugs his son and then he he nods to his king it's this dual relationship which is the case with everybody right like everybody has these these kind of different kinds of relationships that are layered over each other and in between these paragraphs about the two of them, there's a paragraph that I feel is kind of related about Ferris is completely exhausted. He's dangerously tired on these very, very risky, like, abyss cliff roads. And one of the soldiers pulled up beside me and held out his hands. 
And then he, Ferris went over to this guy's horse. So he was safer, but even more terrifying. As my legs dangled over every abyss we passed and my life hung on a man's forearm. I didn't even know his name and I do not believe he survived the battle at Nopent as I did not see him again. But this is like an act of human kindness that really helped Ferris or maybe even kept Ferris from not falling off another cliff again. Yeah, not a thing you want to do more than once. Ferris loves to be like, by the way, a battle is about to happen. (laughs) Did you know that people will die soon in the story? I know this because it already happened. And like, in in Ferris's context, any reader would also know, because it would be a famous yeah. battle. I had never heard the word pickets in a military context. Um, it's sentinels. Oh, huh. So it's it's just sent. I thought pickets were like sticks that you tie horses to. Um. Well, it it comes from the word for a a pointed stake or peg. Um. A picket is a soldier or a small unit of soldiers placed on a defensive line forward of a friendly position to provide timely warning and screening against an enemy advance. It's thought to have originated in the French army around 1690. Actually, that's interesting. That's a term dating later than I would have placed the story if I were to put a week. But, you know, I mean, we've already talked about how you shouldn't try and place the story in time. But still... So, in terms of the ground they're dealing with, Ferris says the Nowpent was a passage between sheer rock walls, so narrow I could have reached from Snap's back and touched them on either side, and then on on the other side of this pass, which also does not sound very long at all. Like, it's definitely, it doesn't seem like it's like a mile or anything. And this does all, uh, this does all have a feeling of the, the preordained... Also, it's interesting that this the, the prophecy actually was useful. Like, it came from later. And so Jen thought, I, I, I can't trust this. This man hates me. But then it actually was good information. Uh, just That's presented true. in a way that was ambiguous. And maybe it's because, like, later in his malice or, or bad intentions is also not allowed by kind of the cosmic rules to give a bad prophecy right and so he he has to yeah because he said it. you know no one lies here yeah exactly and jen keeps he keeps such a cool head like he's so mad he's like i want sejanus i want to kill sejanus instead of doing what i'm supposed to do right now and then this uh turn happens and he's really really willing to take this risk and that's i mean he's a man of faith right and I think, you know, kind of thinking about what change, what causes the change between how ready he is to fly off the handle about this and then he can be calm is he, he knows how much is, is at stake for the larger problem and he can't go pursue the smaller problem, you know? Can't always throw a knife at a guy. Was that in this book? It feels like it was so long ago. Yeah. Why do you think it is? That Jen is the only one in this group of people who knows where this pass is. Because otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten to go. <laughs> True. Right? Because it's convenient for the story. <laughs> but again, these things are preordained or whatever, potentially. Gotta come up with our Watsonian explanation. But he, he, he I mean, he's, this is, <laughs> Eugenides is a man with a good sense of direction. And he, he always knows kind of the ins and outs of places more thoroughly than people expect 
And I think that applies to things like the palace and also the landscape. For sure. And that goes all the way back to the thief. Yeah. The guys in the unit are mostly Jen's close cousins. Eventually, he's going to start running out of those. I thought he already had. You know, he says in King of Trulia, like, oh, I could go send you to ask my cousins a question in hell. Most of my male cousins are dead. Yeah, but maybe he means his first cousins, and these are his second cousins, or still close by by probably the standards of this society. Yeah, a lot of a lot of closely related people in the court of Edis, which is not the case with Atolia, and there there aren't a lot of pre-Gen. There aren't a lot of family relationships that cross, like from Edis to Atolia to Sunus. Yeah, it doesn't seem like we've seen any. Which is, you Except know, it's a, it's, it's a contrast with, like, what you think about medieval up to modern Europe, where all of the monarchs were related to each other in, like, <laughs> bizarre inbreeding. <laughs> War is never just about men killing with swords and guns. Time is a weapon, and so is hunger. The Medes had abandoned most of their baggage train when they were routed after the death of Busaneth. Uh, if the peninsular armies held their grounds only a few days, perhaps just one day more, the Medes would have to withdraw or starve. Yeah, and it's good that is in there because I need these things spelled out for me. Why does this one battle mean that they won the whole thing? And then later on it's spelled out again, like, oh, like all the leaders were dead and everybody else is giving up and they have no food. Mm-hmm. So, And I, I like, again, that this is another contrast to war in other YA fantasy where it's it is just about men and killing people and there's no such thing as like long term as people needing to eat strategy (laughs) (laughs) yeah or like baggage train issues you know yeah I'm trying to think of like another thing that I read as a kid that had that kind of thing in it. And we also probably have some listeners that are significantly more up to date on like the last 10 years. <laughs> Something tells me that the battle operations and logistics is probably not an area of, of significant progress and development. Yeah, maybe that's not what got updated. <laughs> oh, also, also one more thing. Um, mm-hmm. The warning is that the Medes are marching up to the Nopent. They mean to attack from the rear and capture the queens, specifically the queens. Poor Sophos. <laughs> he's, he's always he's, he's just always not a hostage victim anymore. Poor Sophos. But it's very um, it's very chess like, right? Gendered specifically. Mm-hmm. Like the queen, the queen is the most powerful piece, but you have to defeat the king ultimately. Oh wait, wait, one more, one more thing. When Eugenides realizes that the the tongueless one refers to the past and not to Ferris, he says it was never about you, to Ferris. Um, and and mm-hmm. usually, you know, the, uh, the phrase "it was never about you," it makes you think of of insignificance. You're not as important as it seemed like you were. But Ferris is incredibly important. He's more important because like if he is the person who enabled this warning to happen through freeing Serginus yeah which he did with his little like queen's gambit visualization of all the pieces moving do they have chess they don't have chess they do yeah they Ferris. do 
plays chess, Aurelius and Tuleus play chess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 they do, they do, they yeah. do. Probably everybody plays chess and just some of them do it off page. Atolia has to play chess, come on. Yes. Right? Ferris and Atolia should play She'd chess. She'd play it with Jen. Is Kamet good at chess? Kamet has to be, don't you think? I think I, I feel think like it's good at everything academic. <laughs> I think that Kamet is very good at chess, but he thinks that he is going to be way better than everyone at the Italian court, and that isn't true. And I think that Costas is surprisingly good. He's not great, but like he can hold his own. I have this idea that if Kamet and Huzrish were used to playing chess, Kamet would have to lose. So he would be extra good at playing chess because he'd have to engineer that. Mm, you're right. So he'd be, like, really good. Edis doesn't have the patience for it. Jen cheats, obviously. Sophos. The Magus would have taught him. I think he's better than he thinks he is. Because I think, I think he grew up playing uh, the Magus who never let him win. Uh, and so yep. he thinks that he's terrible, but actually the mages is just amazing. <laughs> we figured it out. Figured it out. And Tileus is good at chess, but I can't tell you why, because that's in Moira's pen, so go read it, Noelle. <laughs> ah! well, that's chapter 11. Next time, we get a lot of metaphors. Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atelianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an amateur embroidery.